This episode of Grumpy Old Geeks is brought to you by FreshBooks. Now, FreshBooks has created a super intuitive tool that makes creating and sending invoices ridiculously easy. You can use FreshBooks to create and send invoices in about 30 seconds. There's no formatting and no formulas. Just really simple, clean, and professional-looking invoices. You can add your own logo and color scheme so that your invoice reflects your brand. If you've ever had to do this by hand in a Word or Excel doc for you know sending manual invoices, you know it's a pain in the butt. With FreshBooks, you just upload your logo and set your colors and never think about it again. When you email a client an invoice, FreshBooks can show you whether they've seen it or not, which is a game changer when you have to have those, hey, did you get my invoice conversations? There's also a super handy deposit feature, so you can invoice for a payment up front when you're starting off a project. The FreshBooks dashboard has been curated to answer the one burning question for any small business owner. How's my business doing? No more guessing games on what's owed, overdue, or whether you're in the red. If you have any questions whatsoever, FreshBooks' award-winning customer service is amazingly helpful, super friendly, with zero attitude. Plus, a real-life person usually answers in three rings or less. I've used this, and no joke, they answer the phone, and you get a real person who knows the platform and can help you right on the spot. FreshBooks has been redesigned from the ground up and custom-built for exactly the way you work. Get ready for the simplest way to be more productive, organized, and most importantly, get paid quickly. FreshBooks is offering a 30-day unrestricted free trial to the Grumpy Army. No credit card required to try it out. That I mean, Seriously, no credit card. You've got nothing to lose and a ton to gain. Just go to FreshBooks.com slash Grumpy and enter Grumpy Old Geeks in the How Did You Hear About Us section. That's FreshBooks.com slash Grumpy and enter Grumpy Old Geeks in the How Did You Hear About Us section. Grumpy Old Geeks, a weekly talk show hosted by Brian Schulmeister and Jason DeFilippo, discussing the finer points of what went wrong on the internet and who's to blame. Welcome to Grumpy Old Geeks, the tech news show for adults. I am Jason DeFilippo, and I'm usually here with my co-host Brian Schulmeister, but he's off in Canada right now eating all the maple cookies that he will never bring back for me. So we did a special episode this week. We sat down with my old friend and basically digital royalty, Mark Cantor. Mark has been in this business since he was a wee lad of 15 uh, back in Chicago. And he tells us some great stories about uh, all the different eras of technology and what he was doing in those eras and all the things that you probably know him for but never never knew his name. So Mark tells us some great stories. At the end of the interview, he tells us uh, what he thinks is coming down the line. And uh, it's a fascinating story. We're going to pick this up right at the beginning where he's telling us about uh, his background in childhood and where he comes from. So please enjoy this episode with Mark Cantor. And next week, we'll be back with our normal show. And one last thing before I let you go, please, if you can, go to grumpyoldgeeks.com slash survey and fill out our user survey. It takes less than 30 seconds. We're almost at our goal. So this hopefully is the last week we have to bug you about it, but pretty please with sugar on top. If you haven't done it yet, less than 30 seconds, grumpyoldgeeks.com slash survey. Now here's Mark. No, I'm, I'm a pretty radical person. Uh, let me just say that my grandfather was a famous American communist and he served a year in prison for Sacco-Vanzetti, and he called the governor a murderer. He came out of prison in 1929, November 1929. The capitalist system was crumbling around him. He picked up the family, my seven-year-old father, and he moved to Moscow. And he hung out in Moscow with John Reed, you know, the character that Warren Beatty played in Reds. That's a real character, an American communist. Nice. And my, my grandfather was part of the history of American communism. And then my father was a, uh, you know, a union organizer and got his hands on the transcripts 
of the Gary Powers U2 spy plane trial. Do you know what that is? Oh, yeah, yeah. The, yep. the movie Bridge of Spies with Tom Hanks. Yep. So my yep. father self-published a book in 1960, 61, with the transcripts. And, uh, you know, it showed the whole, all the evidence of the U2 plane and, and the trial from the transcript from the trial. And then he was thanked by the U.S. government for by being indicted in front of HUAC. You know, that was the House of Un-American Affairs. Oh, yeah. Uh, Joe McCarthy. And so we have the transcripts of that. My father testifying in front of Congress. Mr. Cantor, are you or have you ever been a <laughs> member of the Communist Party? I refuse to answer on the grounds of the Fifth Amendment. And if it's good enough for the mafia, it's good enough for me. <laughs> so that's my upbringing. And I was raised as this kid who had run the tally. My father was a politician and I was totally raised on politics. And so by the time I'm 15, I'm already burned out on politics. So I took my idealism and applied it to software. So at 15, what kind of software was, was out there that you could even apply yourself to? Well, in those days, it was – this is pre-digital. Mm -hmm. And so my friend Raul, in fact, the guy who is going to go work for Clinton, who has the uh, penthouse on Venice Beach, where I'll be staying during Christmas, Raul and I proposed to the Museum of Science and Industry, which was in our neighborhood and on the south side of Chicago. We proposed a geodesic dome that would project slideshows and put smell into the air. Oh, Did this involve, uh, <laughs> this involve Polly Shore at all at that point? No, this is before Mr. Shore was born. Dude. Yeah, this is pre-Shore. Okay, this is 73. And then Raul and I went from that to videotaping the unveiling of the Chagall Mosaic, which is downtown, the former First National Bank. You know, it's like this famous mosaic. So Raul and I in high school had a thing called a porta pack and we videotaped the unveiling that Chagall and the old Mayor Daly were there, and my choir, the Chicago Children's Choir, was singing, and I produced a homemade video in 1974. Damn. <laughs> so that shows how, how long I've been into the intersection of technology and art. That's impressive. I was I was pooping in my nappies at seventy three. <laughs> that's old school shit. But I'm but like I said, I'm not old. I'm not young. I'm in the middle. You are. You definitely. You definitely have more vim and vigor than I think I've ever had in my entire life. So I give you there credit you for go. that. And that certainly keeps me young. Absolutely. <laughs> so so does a lot of weed. I'm guessing. Yeah, but also I'm thinking I'm I'm thinking I'm really jealous of Brian's radio voice he must have like the the compressor thing going and the whole i've got the radio voice actually uh, brian is talking on the same exact microphone that you're using <laughs> really yeah and am I, I, I am i coming off real radio like yes you come off radio like i've just got the i have no sleep because i have a a two-month-old child voice oh congratulations oh thank you you know, my favorite young father story is the thing that they don't tell us, right? So you go to Lamaze Oh, class. there's so many things they don't yeah, tell you. Yeah, so here's my fa my very favorite young father thing. So it's you're in the delivery room. You know, you've tried to channel as much of the pain so the wife doesn't feel quite as bad. And you're there the whole fucking time. And as yep. soon as she's done, she absolutely collapses, right? Just like the best slumber she's had in months, right? At which point, here's this young child, and then the nurse turns to you and says, would you like to change the first diaper? Okay. <laughs> now, if, as young fathers know, there is this stuff called, and I'm already spacing the name. It's with an um, M. Mercurium or something. Mercurium, Very close to that. right. And it's basically black tar. 
It's completely <laughs> smellless, okay? But it's the consistency of tar. And it's what's in the body from the internal fallopian tube feeding. And it's once that stuff passes through, then the first external food goes into the uh, digestive system. And then from then on, it's a brown or a yellow or whatever the fuck, breastfeeding, et cetera. But that first kind of shit that comes through the shit is this black tar. And they never tell you about that. And so you're sitting there changing this diaper, of course, looking at this young baby, and this black tar is coming out. It's like, what the fuck? <laughs> <laughs> they they do put that in books now. So if you're smart enough to read ahead, you you do. See, no. uh, you see, you gained you gained some knowledge of it just in an abstract fashion, but that means nothing compared to the okay. oily black truth. No, in fact, <laughs> there you go. Now I'm dating my show title, Oily Black Truth. <laughs> yeah, because in fact, so I have twin sons. And today is their birthday. They're Halloween oh. babies. And I, and I have a total of five kids. So, you know, I'm all into that mercurium shit. Let's go back to the the, the programming at 15 and uh, your your history with art and technology. Cool. I, I got to say, I found out something about you that I was I was not aware of by perusing your Wikipedia page. And I, I'm fanboying out for a second here you coded uh peter gunn into the spy hunter game which i spent i spent and it was done in six sixty eight hundred assembler that is fantastic i think 99 percent of the reason i played that game so religiously was the damn soundtrack yeah and this is again so this is before the sixty eight thousand. It was when it was a 6800, which was an 8-bit processor. But I did have the processor dedicated to me. And um, Henry Mancini himself had to show up and approve it. Oh, you're kidding me. I met the man. Oh, that is badass. In 1983. <laughs> That's awesome. 1983. Wow. Okay. Yeah. That's funny. So we have, we have a, uh, a, an employer in common because I used to work for Midway. I was oh a my god! I was a game tester at Midway for a while, so I've been in the probably after, the same building. <laughs> okay, right, and that's after they changed the name because when I was there, it was called Bally Midway. I'm pretty sure. I'm actually when I was when I was there, it was. I'm pretty sure it was still Bally Midway because they were st they were still producing the Star Trek pinball machine. Okay, and sure. um, so yeah. we we had the floor where the pinball machines were being produced, and then we'd go in the far back and we'd work on the video games. This is uh test it, right, right. Yeah, yeah, we were working on um Revolution X. So I'll give you I'll give you three quick stories. So um first is that I worked for Dave Nutting Associates. So he was a subsidiary, he was an R&D group. And the reason why he was able to keep his name and his things separate was that Dave Nutting uh got the patent on frame buffer with video game Okay, in the 70s. And a guy named Nolan Bushnell was working for Dave Nutting when he wrote this thing called Pong. Pong. <laughs> okay, so Dave Nutting was the old school guy, even by the time I get there. And I, in fact, had been accepted into grad school to learn about this thing called computer graphics. And I got a job starting at $7,000 a month. What? In 1982. Dude, you like, should have had okay. yachts. <laughs> okay, I'll do it. I'll. Uh, who needs grad school, you know? So I became like the musician guy who would write these things called melody lines and sound effects for Ms. No, sorry, for Professor Pac-Man, 
for Ms. Gorf, what's well, the sequel to Gorf, to pet, 10 Pin Deluxe, which is a physical throw something down a sliding thing. And then they borrowed me off. They shifted me over. So this is all at Dave Nutting. And then they, I was like a, you know, like a resource that was lent to Midway itself, to Bally Midway, to work on this high-profile thing because they had this concept called, yeah, we're going to license music. And it was like, what? Yeah, we're going to license this. And you think you're going to make that much money that you can afford to pay Henry Mancini? It's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're going to, we're going to license this melody line. Can you, can you program this melody line with a 6,800 assembler? You know, like, okay, dude, you know, (laughs) that's how I got the gig. (laughs) Anyway, um, I'll tell you another early story for those days. So, um, I went to a school called Oberlin and I'm studying opera upstairs and electronic music and computers downstairs in the basement with no windows. Okay. So is this still, is this still in Chicago? No. Oberlin is in Oberlin, Ohio. Okay. Outside of Cleveland. It's a famous, uh, undergrad school, very bigger echo and green liberal shit. The woman, Lena Dunham, who does girls, Mm -hmm. she's from Oberlin, Randy Dreyfus, uh, Keith Jarrett, Eric Bogosian, uh, yeah, longtime liberal school. Oh, uh, Oberlin was first for the um, first school to admit women, first school to admit blacks, and it was a major underground railroad stop during the pre-Civil War days. Okay, so Oberlin's got a long school tradition in Ohio. Uh, I got in as a singer and I could be an opera singer, but they also had one of the first electronic music studios on the planet down in the basement. So I built a surge modular music system. I was a cab driver in Chicago during the summer. I took that money. I built an analog patch synthesizer related to a Buchla or a Moog. And then they kicked out my guru. So of 26 full-time students, 24 of us left. And I went to the Art Institute of Chicago. So I brought in and I walked into the Art Institute in 78, this analog music synthesizer in this giant Halliburton case, right? The fold-out <laughs> aluminum case. And it had all these patchable modules. Well, it turned out the Art Institute of Chicago had a thing called a video synthesizer. Okay? So this is when I coined the phrase. This is, I know it's a long story. It's just as wrong to be a musician as an artist. Those are arbitrary terms based upon arbitrary technology, paintbrush and violin. But now we can make music with our paintbrush. We can paint with our violin. That's called a computer. So I coined that phrase in 1978. And that's when, you know, multimedia, at least for me, started. I got a degree from Oberlin called intermedia because the term multimedia at the time meant Drop the needle on a, uh, a vinyl and then turn one of these kind of like uh, microfilm slideshows. <laughs> and you <laughs> right. literally have a pointer stick, you know, and you'd point at the thing and go, and notice the embryo here. Here's the woman's mammary gland or something. And that's, that's, what, <laughs> multi, that's what multimedia meant. And so intermedia was a new term and it had something to do with these computers. This is all still fundamentally um, analog days before digital, but I was one of the founders of the Computer Music Society. I went to all the early SIGGRAPHs and I was there right there. I was on a committee that helped form this thing called MIDI. Yep. So I was right when technology and music all became mainstream. 
You ruined my life for about uh, four years or five years when I was just dealing with nothing but MIDI. So thanks for that. Yeah, and I told him <laughs> the, the I told him the, the the thing was too slow. It was a thirty two k speed, and so you could sit there with a rocker wheel or something, and you could go faster than that. And so the data would yep. fall behind, and that created the propagation delay. So, well, thanks hey. for that, Mark. No problem. <laughs> now let's jump forward to the next decade. You know what were you doing in the nineties? <laughs> Well, so I was in an era that is completely forgotten, almost wiped from the memory banks. It was right when Wired Magazine was rising, and it was more or less called the CD-ROM era. It was the era right before the internet. Uh, but before you get to Wired, what about Mondo 2000 era? Same, same thing. Mondo 2000, uh, Are You Serious, uh, the Digital Beans, Michael Gosney's Digital Beans, mm. uh, a, band, a band called Da Cuckoo. Da the cuckoo, they had a 3D head as a lead singer. Okay, I don't remember them. No, but I totally remember Mondo 2000. I used to I used to seek those things out to find them. Yep. Yeah, early VR, The Residence, Todd Rundgren, uh, Ty Roberts had a thing called Ion. They did a disc with David Bowie and a disc with Brian Eno. Yeah. I, ha I had a band called The Media Band. Um, you know, there's a lot of money being spent. Uh, 85% <laughs> of all those CD-ROMs were all created with director. Yes. Right? Oh, let's so get to director. Yes. I made a number of my own CD-ROMs with director and I even got paid for that in the late nineties. There you go. <laughs> Back right, when so we used theory. to get paid for writing shit on the internet. Yeah. Yeah. And the theory was that, you know, all these hundreds of thousands of people owe their jobs and their careers to me because I Invented well, it. I'd like a refund, damn it. <laughs> okay. No problem. But I'll tell you what, I'll trade you 1% of your career for that. <laughs> oh, that means he's going to have to cut a foot off your kid. I, I, would, well, that's, I wouldn't take that's that deal. <laughs> well, that's the problem with the subscription models. We, didn't, we had the idea that you had this physical thing you bought. It went through a two-tier distribution system where boxes were printed up. We'd ship them to Ingram MicroD. The boxes would sit in a warehouse, and then the reta retailers would call Ingram MicroD and have to pay for the shipment of the box. And then there was a whole issue of the difference between uh, the, the, the MRSP of the suggested retail price and then what you actually paid. Yep. And then the issue was that the disc in the box went out of, you know, went extinct and you had to get upgrades. So the internet to me had nothing to do with content. Internet to me was software distribution. I miss the old days of the software in a box, though. I mean, my first my first real computer was an IBM XT. My first video game was Zill. I don't know if you remember Zill. Z y l l. No. No. Um, bought that at the store. You know, I don't know if you remember the old IBMs. Of course, you remember the old IBM yeah, yeah. software. Yeah. It was all of them were just these monotone, like really tan or blue hues. Um, yep. And we had stacks of them in my house because my mom was an AS four hundred programmer, so she bought us the XT so she could, you know, program on the side when she came home. Didn't tell me that del star dot star when your root is a bad thing to do. Um, so you're a bad mother, but, uh, you know what, uh, that's the way shit goes. But, um, I were, I just, I miss software in a box because you get it, you open it up and, uh, you get to read the manual you get before yeah. you, Manu while, while you're installing it, you know, what are, the, what are these manual things? 
Yeah, lose so, anymore. So, dudes, are you dudes? Are you watching Halt and Catch Fire? I can't watch, watch it. I watched it for like the first ten minutes, and it just seemed so just dumb. Dude, first of all, anytime you have a hot blonde who's a programmer, that's, that's why. Good, that's why I thought it was thing. dumb because I'm like, there were no chicks she's programming back okay, then. First of all, first of all, she's fantastic. Okay, the current season that just ended, dude. I mean. It's a fantastic show. I can highly recommend it because it does capture exactly the era we're talking about from an entrepreneurial point of view. So I'm like in the room at that comm desk throwing those parties. That's me. That's my life in the 80s. That's okay. exactly what I was doing. So I can t- attest to that. In fact, I know a guy who worked for Phoenix, the Phoenix Bios company. Mm-hmm. Remember them? Yep. And, and you know what they did? They cloned. The IBM BIOS. That's the first episode. That's the first season. It's cloning the IBM BIOS. And so I know the guy who actually did that, Rich Levendoff. Okay. I mean, (laughs) I was there, dude. And and so now they worked their way through online gaming. And now they're figuring out this thing called the NSF net. Okay, and ARPANET. And what they're doing is they're figuring out how to build something called a browser. That's season <laughs> four. Okay. And so the question is now they're intersecting with fucking Mark Andreessen. Yep. Like, you know, Andreessen. Yeah. They're gonna they're gonna fuck around. They're gonna see if uh Andreessen buys them out or like buys the channel just to fuck with them, you know. Okay. He becomes he, he becomes a Peter Thiel or not. Okay. I'll go back and watch it. I'll I'll give it another shot. Because yeah, I yeah, met yeah. Andreessen back in Shambana way back in the day when okay. Mosaic was out. You know, I just went down there to hang out with a friend and she was just like banging some dude that was working at the supercomputer center. And I just got to meet him way back then when he had hair. Yeah. <laughs> so no, and also that's when they had this thing called Play-Doh, <laughs> right? So they had this huge online system. So that's why the culture at Champaign Urbano, they they got online. Right, because they had this thing called the Play-Doh system, which was this early educational software, online educational software, coming out of Champaign Urbana. It had a history. Yeah, no, it was it was a cool place. I, definitely, they were doing some cool shit down there. Because yeah. honestly, there was nothing else to do because it is surrounded on all yeah, sides nothing. by corn. <laughs> That's yeah. it. It is corn for hundreds there's, of miles in every direction. <laughs> there's another story about uh, Champaign Urbana. Um, John Cage did what is considered the first computer music piece ever in 1964 at Champaign-Urbana. No way. Okay. Yeah. Cool. It's called, har- it's called harpsichord. But he did one of these things where they take out all the vowels, just like they were doing like uh, with software companies, you know? So harpsichord with no vowels. And that's, uh, that's a piece that Cage did in 64. So an interesting thing was my director programmer – that I that I had when I was at Rocktropolis, uh, this girl Cindy, uh, she was friends with Neil Gaiman, and okay, ne- yeah, yeah. Neil was in town to go to a John Cage simulcast at uh, Virgin Records. Uh, the Vir- and, and we went to the Virgin Records right on uh, Sunset and uh, Sunset. It was it was past Highland. It was okay. by, by my old anyway. It was it was on Sunset back in the day. So I got to meet Neil Gaiman there because he was going to do this because my director programmer is friends with Neil Gaiman and they couldn't figure out which one it was. So they ended up having to run to another store. But my director, (laughs) the director programmer that I hired introduced me to Neil Gaiman, who was a fan of John Cage. So let's bring that full circle. (laughs) 
that's full circle. And dude, if you're studying Zen or you're doing spiritual VR, if you're into mushrooms or like, there's so many connects into John Cage, you know, that he was a world-class expert in mushrooms. Hmm. Tasty. So, so when he came to <laughs> Oberlin, because my guru, Derry John Mizell, studied with him at uh, UC Davis, as a matter of fact. Okay, so now jump forward 20 years. My guru invites John Cage to do a seminar with us electronic music students at Oberlin. So I go over to the house to meet John Cage. And John Cage comes to the door, and he's holding a plate of wild mushrooms that he had picked on the way in from the airport. And he had marinated them in tamari. And they were like this whole Zen thing. And we sat around and he gave Zen sayings. And that was the seminar with John Cage. Nice. Yeah. So I was there. I'm one degree removed. <laughs> the other thing that uh, my, my director programmer did uh, back at Rock Tropolis was she introduced me to Eric Idle. Okay, sure. We did a uh, we did a 24-hour turnaround when uh, Monty Python discovered the internet back in 1995. Yeah, like <laughs> we want to have Python line. Yeah. And uh, we spent 24 hours without leaving our computers and we built the the entire world of Python line. And awesome. uh, I still have I actually took a picture of me. I I had a spy cam set up. Uh, so I could get a picture of me demoing to Eric Idle, and it was a Connectix Quick Cam because that's all you could get back in the day. So it's sixteen shades of gray. So I want to see that. First of all, a I want to see this photo. B, I'll, I'll send it to did you. Did yeah. the site did the site ever go live? No, we didn't get the gig. We didn't get the gig. Wow. I still have well, the director files, but I can't open them anymore. Okay. okay. Exactly. <laughs> now, and it was, and the theory was that it would be with .dcr. It would like run a shockwave player. Yeah, th yeah, this is right yeah. when Shockwave was really coming yeah. into its thing. See, the problem was that see, this is exactly when these two worlds inter collided because the average user had a 1,200 to 2,400 baud modem. Yep. It would take an hour and a half to load the first page. And so yep. that, was a, that was why they bought Flash because Flash was optimized to only work with vectors. In fact, for the through the rest and of that, the That's when it was Future Splash at the beginning. Right, right when they bought it, yeah. And yeah. it was from Charlie Jackson, who we had put out of business back in the 80s. So it was his kind of like revenge fuck, you know, that he's going to go <laughs> undercut us. And meanwhile, I'm long gone from the company, right? And I had told them, you know, because you had all these different kind of data types in these channels. I said, why don't you add a data type called vector-based artwork, right? So not everything's a bitmap. Mm -hmm. And if they had done that, they wouldn't have needed to bring in Flash. And they would have been able to leverage lingo, which was their language. Because what happened was the entire community got bifurcated between the old school director guys who used lingo and the new school Flash guys. The Flash guys didn't even get bitmaps until the end of the decade and eventually got action script. And it took 10 years for them to equal the functionality that director had, right? So the whole world was fractured. And then along comes Dreamweaver and just like all these other things happen. But, uh, you know, anyways, so th the problem was that the, the shockwave files were always too big. And so that's why it never worked online. Yeah. Yeah. No, the shockwave stuff was, it, it, I mean, it worked for us for quite some time because we used it when I was it, at this point, when I was at Rocktropolis doing the uh, Python demo, 
in the other room, I was doing the same. I was building the website for The Phantom. Do you remember that movie with uh, Billy Zane? Yeah. Yeah. I built that website, and that got me into Paramount. And when I left Rocktropolis, I went straight to Box Stop, (laughs) which is an end around, which is where I met Brian, by the way. Um, This is where we became friends. All right, so now, so now this is an interesting tie-in. So at the time, it was very clear that Hollywood was shooting its uh, toes off its feet because the, what would do was that they would uh, force people like you to go through this process of doing lost leader gigs. Mm. There was something on spec or working below cost. Actually, no, so- that was after our. Uh, that was after my time. That was. At this point in my career, they're spending hundreds of thousands of dollars for every movie. I got I got in in the sweet spot when so we did we did the Phantom. Then I moved to Box Top to do Star Trek First Contact. They spent probably five or six hundred thousand dollars on the Star Trek First Contact website. And then we moved up and, and kept going until it became a point where that took over where it was lost leader. We finished cool. tight we finished Titanic. I did um Private parts. Um, All right. All so right. I did. I did that website. We did Titanic. We did Deep. Im- Deep Impact was the last big movie. And who was I did. the agency? Who was the agency? Paramount Motion Pictures. I worked on a lot. Wow. I was a head motion. I was a head programmer for Paramount Motion Pictures. So wow. we were doing all this stuff on the lot, and it was under print advertising. Okay, and so, so which, that was a very it was a very short window. Right. It was so about which, about two years. What do you think, Brian? About two years. About two, yeah, two to two to three years Which, for for the movie stuff. Music stuff lasted a little bit longer. But yeah, not because much, you were doing, so. yeah, you were doing music, and you went to Microsoft, and we're 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 doing things for what was the technology at Microsoft? You were big uh, in Chrome something. Chrome, I can't even remember what right. it was called anymore. Yeah, yeah but you guys were getting like you know tech, tech Okay, so what was the st- so what was the Star Trek? movie which which one of like star trek five star trek first contact it was first contact so So that was way later it's like seven or eight right uh i think it was five five right no 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 no. maybe six five five is the one where they go find god oh yeah yeah, whatever this was this was basically what they were trying to rebrand the next gen as as the wrath of khan that was the like their their attempt to do wrath of khan and so we did we did vrml walkthroughs of the entire ship we had the guy who invented vrml come into the office and unfortunately i was sick that day which pisses me off because he comes in and, and i don't know if you guys remember i did a site called spew long ago i was up for a webby for it the guy comes in and he's like, where's Jason? He's like, oh, he's out sick. He's like, oh, man, I wanted to meet that guy. I'm a fan of Spew. I'm like, yeah, ah! Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Same thing happened with me. Robin Williams came by our booth at Macworld oh. and wanted to meet me, and I was schmoozing or something. Um, all right, so let me tell you a Star Trek story. And, again, I'm dating myself. So Star Trek II yep. used video work. So this is before it was called Director to do some animated storyboards, mm-hmm. okay? And the producer was Ralph Winter. So the scene was when Spock and Kirk are on a shuttle and they lose automatic control and they actually have to land the shuttle manually, like old-fashioned flying, you know? And so they have to land on the, on the Enterprise without autopilot. And so, of course, they crash land and they have a net there to catch them. And so we got to use a Ralph Winter quote on the Video Works 2 box. 
And it said, I saved $75,000 by using video works to storyboard <laughs> Star Trek two. Nice. It was a money quote, you know, it was like you could, and it was, you know, high celebrity shit. He came to our party, he spoke at our event. Uh, you know, so I was going down to the studios in those days and I, I'll never forget being out in Malibu with somebody named Ivan Reitman. Oh, no, I, I've heard of him. Yeah. Anyway, I've heard of that guy. So he said, so he said that. So I'm showing you at that time we had, a, this is still fucking black and white Mac. There wasn't even a color Mac. Right. Yep. So I'm showing him these animated storyboards. He stands by the window in, in Malibu, right on the water. He literally holds up a glass of Chardonnay. He looks through the glass <laughs> and he says, you know, we could do a lot with this technology. <laughs> this is the true quote, right? Like 85, 86 that time frame. So anyway, so uh, going back to star Trek, uh, the one thing I still have is I have all the director files for, wow. Um, if you ever watch star Trek and you're a fan of star Trek yeah. behind all of those screens, what were, were the, the pizza box centrist six tens, everything behind those screens yes. were centrist six tens running director Yes. With uh, animations built on director, and I, and I still my, have those. <laughs> and so, in fact, Jason, when we met first, I remember you telling me that story. Yep. This, uh, yep. And then, and then I told you the story of a guy named Michael Bacchus, B A C K E S. Speaking of Wired, his company was on Wired magazine. Uh, the cover twice. The company was called Rocket Science, and I don't think they ever fucking shipped. But they were one of these like vaporware hyped up CD-ROM things that Wired Magazine just loved because Michael Bacchus came from Hollywood, okay? Mm -hmm. And he became famous in the tech world because he's the guy who wrote all the pseudo screens for Jurassic Park. The first one where the fat guy is sitting oh, the good the one. <laughs> yeah, right. Exactly. The fat guy's sitting there and he sabotages and he lets the dinosaurs out so he can steal the embryos. Yeah. Newman. That guy, Newman. That Newman. Yeah. Exactly, <laughs> that all those screens were done in director. No, it's amazing how much, you know, it just if you needed animation on a screen. There was no option. You did director. Yeah. We yeah. did it. We used it for Greece. You know, we had uh, we did so many games oh, yeah. in uh, at Paramount for all these movies. I think I worked on twenty five movies at Paramount, and every single yeah. one of them. Brian uh, knows uh, knows my programmer there, Mister David Riegler. Um, we did all of those yep. in director. Yeah. So there was a movie with it was a remake with. Uh, Bridget Fonda. It was Little Nikita, right? Where like the no, it was one called. Was, it was actually called Point of No Return. Point of No Return, exactly. So the Point of No Return was the the remake. Okay. Yes. So yes. as she they get her to turn on the corner from being a junkie to a, an assassin, they put her on a computer and teach her how to use these things called computers, and the thing that she's using is a as a director thing. Okay, so Point of No Return for just for my history is one of my favorite movies of all fucking time. So I'm a huge Bridget Fonda Mark. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I've seen that movie at least thirty times because yeah. goddamn, she was hot. <laughs> yeah. No, in fact, the, the only thing hotter is the is when she's in Jackie Brown and she fucks Al, uh, Robert De Niro. That's the hottest. Fucking you know, thing. I still haven't gotten to that point in Jackie Brown. I've only seen half of it, and I haven't gotten to oh, that dude, point it's yet. So worth it. And then when and then she's just jabbing. And jabbing 
Academy, I'm going to give you a total spoiler. And at the end, she's just like, blah, blah, blah. she's like being this bitch. And Robert De Niro just turns and says, shut up. And he just shoots her and kills her. Well, thanks for the spoiler. <laughs> I appreciate that. So now well, I guess Jason, I don't have to. It's taken you this yeah. long to get through the movie. Do, I, think it's I know, I know, I know. But do the sex scene where she says, so you want to fuck? And it, yeah, he just leans her up on the counter. It was this awesome scene. So anyway, it's a it's a good movie. Well, I'm going to get to the end now. <laughs> <laughs> it's a good movie. <laughs> so what I want to talk about is what do you think about what's going on in tech now? Do you think we have too much tech? Are we are we burnt the fuck out? Because that's you know yeah. that's a common theme that Brian and I talk about on the show. It's just like there's just so much shit going on, and it's like. Why aren't you curing cancer? Why are you giving us another fucking yeah. fart app? <laughs> yeah. Okay. So okay. So you can directly you can directly point at the startup ecosystem for that, right? So Apple and Google are making money off the apps, and so they encourage the apps. The VCs need people to pre-filter the startups, so they encourage the angels and the super angels, and the accelerators and incubators do all that, which makes the VCs' jobs easier, right? Uh, that then perpetuates these kind of scam companies. And we've seen even products as successful as Vines go through a whole cycle, cash out, and fucking Twitter buys them, and yet they still shut it down and there never was a business model, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I always remember I remember another product in those days. It was called Delicious. Yeah, yeah. No, jo- Joshua was, Schechter. Yeah, yeah, Josh Schechter, who was a complete tool, but uh, he wrote a great but, product. But it never had a business model. Nope. You know what his business model was? Yahoo. It was to sell out. And and um, it's uh, Fred Wilson who figured that out. Right. Yep. So all these guys were figuring this out. So, okay. So remember, so there's making money and there's what software is about. So you guys can sit around and talk about that there's too much software, but the reality is that there's a lot of people making Oh, no. Money. We talk about there's too much bad software. Yeah. Well, okay. So this is how I parse the world. There are people who wake up in the morning time. And they think they see software as a way to make money. And I wake up in the morning time and I see software as something that can create change. And if you can make money along the way, great. Right. So my wife hates me for that. But, you know, it's why I'm sitting in a small room now and I don't have all this money. Uh, and there's a side story about cola in there. Uh, but but the reality is, is that the software business is broken into lots of very clear markets. Because remember, I left Silicon Valley, got out of the ecosystem. You moved to Ohio. Yeah, for six years. I got out of the echo chamber, right? And it was to it was explicitly do that, to see what it was like outside of the echo chamber and to see how software and technology affected society, okay? And this had to do with mainly about jobs, so it, it is possible. And you know the company in Berlin? I think it's called Rocket Internet. Don't know them. Okay, so they're a fund. And all they do as a fund is fund startups that clone U.S. software ideas and then apply them to Poland or you know Romania or Russia. Or <laughs> we we like are that. coming up with four pierogies. So right. You can check okay. in when you have a pierogi. Right. And you're probably one of the few people that even knows what a pierogi is. And then we can talk about the subtle differences between the Cleveland and the Chicago pierogi, right? <laughs> okay. And then so Chicago had more poles in it than anywhere but Warsaw. And Cleveland had more Hungarians in it than anywhere but Budapest. 
right? So that'll give you a, a real good idea of who those two cities are. And so meanwhile, each of those cities, Chicago, Cleveland, Budapest, Warsaw, each have cloned software industries, which live in the shadow of Silicon Valley, New York, and London. Right, and so those there are software companies there that thrive, who stay in business. Half the shit is customized for enterprise; the other shit is just a clone and a copycat. And they live on the crumbs and they live underneath the radar. Okay, so you don't notice those people, but it is a big chunk of the industry. What you notice are the ones who come to San Francisco, join YC Combinator, fucking fuck Y Combinator, fuck them in their eye holes, fuck them in their eye holes. Right, so they upload it to Product Hunt. They go on Product Hunt, right? (laughs) uh, uh, Fucking uh, Stack Overflow and Hacker News. Well, Stack Overflow has saved me millions of man hours, so I appreciate those guys. (laughs) This is the ecosystem, right? And we're about to see, as of last week, when Twitter announces there are 300 people layoff, we have seen the precipice of this bubble economy. And now we're going to start seeing it careening down. It may be imploding. It may be a slow shift. We'll have to see exactly how it happens. Intel, HP, Cisco, they're all doing layoffs. It's estimated that as many as 375,000 jobs will be affected because, you know, when the marketing lady from Cisco gets laid off, she can't go buy her new Mercedes, you know. So the oh, Mercedes dealership girl. lays off. <laughs> and then, and of course, what we're all very interested in is uh, traffic and uh, restaurant costs, right? So, and, well, and, and just, rent. And rent, real estate, right? Rent real is estate. really the big one because you can't live in San Francisco now. You can't live you can't. there. And I live out here in Walnut Creek because, mm-hmm. yeah. Well, and you so can't it, live in you can't live in Southern California anymore either because right. when everybody's moved from San Francisco down to here. Rent prices have shot through the roof. So, or they moved out to Walnut Creek. Yeah, because because we have good schools here and we can jump on the BART, right? So we can get into town. So, um, yeah. Now, okay. So what you're supposed to be talking about is either ARVR or chatbots. And then, so then what I do is I simply parse it by saying, I don't do AR and VR, and I'm all about the chatbots. Okay, why? Why are you all about the chatbots? I want to know this now. Okay, all right. Now, are you familiar with something called Cola Messenger? I remember when you were working with them, you sent me some invites, I signed up, and I then you got the fired. <laughs> I, I invented the product, and I started the company. Okay, all right, so trust me, I'm into messaging is the new OS, right? So if I'm in the visionary game, I was applying for patents two years ago where the user interface is inserted directly inside the chat messaging interface, okay? So that is what Apple does, what Google does, what WeChat does, all those people, they all do that. Do they have their patents dated February 19, uh, 2015? Because Cola does. Okay. So that's the game I was playing. So I started this messaging company. Actually, it was a pivot from something else. I hired a CEO. They did their thing. They fired me from my own company. I sue them. We settle. Now it's been two years. In the meantime, Cola refuses to do chatbots. So if you look at the one interview that this guy has ever done on video, it was with Robert Scoble. So type in Robert Scoble, David Temkin, Cola, whatever. Up comes this video that's on safe on Facebook. And for 18 minutes, he's pitching Cola. Now, the very first words that come out of Robert's mouth was, 
So how come there's no chat bots in Cola? And so Cola can insert in what they call bubbles. Basically, it's something built with uh, Facebook React Native. Mm -hmm. You ever heard of React? Okay. All right, so it's JavaScript bubbles, and you can put any kind of interface into a messaging app. We ship – Cola ships with standard stuff, but the theory is that it's a third-party developer platform that anybody could build their own interface and inside a messaging app. Okay, so that's where I was over two years ago. Now, in the interim time period where my ex-partner, who I had to sue, hates chatbots, you can assume I do the opposite of everything he does. Okay? <laughs> so I'm like, okay, it's about chatbots. So we had, in fact, he and, this, he and I had a mutual friend, a guy named Adam Chair. Don't know him. Well, he's the guy who did Siri. And oh, then they, okay. And then they went and did something called Viv. Oh, yeah, 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 that guy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. all right, so uh, back in the springtime when I filed the lawsuit, I went to him because I was concerned that Temkin would be, how do you say it politely, bad-mouthing me? So I thought, <laughs> it would, I thought it would be nice to like go to Adam and tell him my side of the story, and he's pitching me Viv, you know, like, yeah, let's get Viv inside of Cola, you know, because Cola doesn't have the chatbot, and Viv is just the engine. It's not tied to a messenger platform you know anyway so that's when i started getting into chatbots i've actually already pivoted a little bit and i uh shrunken down my extremely ambitious dreams uh but now i call it string of pearls well is not that's a very porn <laughs> porn centric kind of name <laughs> At, a, well, at least there's a happy ending with string well, of pearls. Well, okay, now the other yeah, you, you, you might want to do a little market research on that. <laughs> no, 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 no. Okay, well, do you want to know what the most popular, <laughs> what the Google version of string of pearls is? Oh, I've I'm looking at it right now. It's a Chinese international <laughs> diplomacy strategy. Well, not what I got. You must have safe search on. <laughs> okay. All right. Well, anyway, so and then the other thing for me, string of pearls is an audio, a digital audio editing technique where you've got the the audio waveform and then you would put little uh, nodes on the waveform. And as you move the node up and down, there's a line that changes and that's the volume that you're putting to typically change the volume of the audio file. And that's called string of pearls. Okay. Right. But what I refer to string of pearls is I'm talking about where video selfies are strung together using AI and a conversation. A oh, that sounds like the human centipede. There you go. Whatever. <laughs> Listen, I tried it out my daughters and they liked it, so I'm happy. Right? All right. <laughs> so, so the idea is that you record these video selfies and then you run recognition audio on the recording. And then the author goes and says, yeah, this is a keyword and this is a keyword. And that's called semantic data, right? And then you allow the author to attach other semantic data to this video. And then they choose a particular template and you record a series of these videos and you send that and it creates a proxy bot, which is, you know, you're the puppeteer and the chat bot is your proxy, now, dude, are you sitting down? Are you both sitting down? I'm, I'm sitting down and I got to yep. pee. I'm yeah. about to tell you something very heavy, okay? Because this is what I'm working on right now, okay? 20 years ago, I'm sitting next to Dave Weiner and I'm rolling the joints. I mean, literally. Eric Raymond calls and you know he's 
doing this thing called the cathedral and the bazaar. Bazaar, yeah. Okay, all right. And then Dave's talking to this company called Netscape, and they've got this format for subscription, and Dave's got this metadata structure for a thing called an RSS thing. And I'm sitting there rolling the joints as blogging is being invented. And in fact, if you go look at Dave, and he has celebrated the 22nd anniversary of the first blog post. I can't first, because that asshole fucking blocked me. So, No, dude, just <laughs> go to scripting.com. Just type in Dave Weiner first blog post, okay? Yeah. Up will come I read it. <laughs> about me. Okay. okay. I, I was the subject matter of the first blog post, okay? Just to show you when I used to be famous, okay? I used up my 15 minutes a long time ago. So if blogging started 20 years ago, 10 years ago, uh, the YouTube started, right? And we, I was doing something called OurMedia.org with J.D. Lassica, and we were front end to the Internet Archive. Yeah, I remember could, him. Uh, you could upload videos into the archive, which was great, except that YouTube came along and showed how to do that right. Okay. Now, when we started blogging, no one knew about Monica Lewinsky, Arab Spring, Trent Lott, and all the shit that blogging would do. And when internet video started, we had no idea about PewDiePie and Twitch and all the shit that internet video would bring us, right? And so here we are today, and we have these selfie videos, right? But we still can't string together the videos in anything besides a playlist, and we can't interact with the videos with anything more than commenting. So that's what I'm attempting to do, is to merge chatbots with video selfies using the AI and put the, the power, who are we going to give the power to, Jason? The Facebook. blogger, the bloggers. No, oh, I got that totally YouTube, wrong. The YouTubers, the creative people, the long tail. Okay? The viners. So that's, oh, wait. So that's what I'm doing. Now, I, I'm looking for <laughs> no the viners. right terminology. You know, I was calling it AI blogging. You know, who knows what the fuck? I'm to, I, I got string of pearls for now because you string together <laughs> these videos, you know. Anyway, so that's that's where I'm at right now. Big thanks to Mark for coming on the show. I hope you guys enjoyed that one. If you'd like to help support the show, please visit patreon.com slash GOG and sign up. Even as little as a buck a month helps keep us on the air. If you're cheap or broke but still want to support the show, please go to grumpyoldgeeks.com slash iTunes and leave us a glowing review and five stars. Pretty please? Pretty please? And at the very least, please share the show with your friends. Grumpyoldgeeks.com is where you can listen to shows, leave feedback, ask us questions that we can read on the air, or find links to our awesome sponsors and stuff we like. We have our new subreddit at reddit.com slash r slash GOG podcast. We're also on Twitter at GOG podcast and on Instagram at grumpy old geeks. And please take our super fast user survey at grumpy slash survey. It'll take you less than 30 seconds and it helps us know who the hell you are. We're almost at our goal. We are, we are so close. So please, if you can fill it out and I will never bug you again. Intro music for the show is provided by the band Among Us. You can find them on iTunes, Spotify, and Apple Music, or get 10 exclusive tracks when you sponsor us on Patreon. Outro music for the show is provided by Andy Stochansky. You can follow Andy at twitter.com slash houseofandy, and he's also on SoundCloud at grumpyoldgeeks.com slash Andy, where you can listen to this song in its entirety. Voiceovers for the show are provided by Robert Fogarty. You can check out his writing and editing services at scribblepinch.com. 
Show notes for this episode can be found at grumpyoldgeeks.com slash 187. There you will find links to where you can find Mark on the interweb, and also you can find links to previous episodes of the show and uh, listen on the web or subscribe in your podcast player of choice. That's how we roll, bitches!